Hi, everybody. I'm Rick Nelson, and welcome to Psychop Talks Winter Ops, the podcast devoted to all things winter maintenance. The Snow and Ice Cooperative Program, or Psychop for short, is one of AASHTO's technical service programs created to provide assistance and resources to member states and the winter maintenance community. One of our primary objectives is to share information about winter maintenance, operations, and road weather. Now, with all the recent talk about PIARC and the Winter Service and Road Resilience Congress happening in Calgary 2022, I thought it'd be good to learn a little bit about the host city of Calgary and their approach to winter maintenance. And there's no better person to do that than Calgary's Manager of Roads Maintenance, Chris Hewitt. Hi, Chris, and welcome to Psychop Talks Winter Ops. Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me. You know... Chris, uh, doing a little research, Calgary is known as the Chinook City. Now, I suspect there's more to that than just a catchy phrase. Yeah, there is. Um, it's a phenomena that's fairly unique to us. Um, what happens? We get, you know, middle of winter, we might have a 20, 30 degrees Celsius change kind of within an hour. Um, it will last anywhere from you know, a day to two or three days sometimes. Um, and then we go back to the cold, back to winter. Uh, so it's so it's like you get this uh, transition from spring to winter uh, several times during the year. We do, yeah. I don't think it's unusual for us to have, you know, I want to say a, a dozen or more, uh, 12, 15 of these events through a winter. Um, so we'll, yeah, we will go from a few days of beautiful weather, you know, up around up to 15, 20 degrees Celsius, you know, that's in that kind of 65 to 70 degree range Fahrenheit. And then all of a sudden we'll be back down at, uh, you know, minus 20, minus 30 Celsius, right? Which is, I don't know, minus five, minus 10, minus 15 Fahrenheit. So, so, so Chris, how big is your operation there in Calgary? How big is the city? Uh, you know, can you give us a little perspective there? Yeah, absolutely. So we're we're a big city. Um, we're we're very spread out. We're 1.5 million people, give give or take, with some of our surrounding communities, and uh, we we service about 16,000 lane kilometers, so 10,000 uh, lane miles of road with our snow and ice control program. You know, when you're when you're in a city like that, you've got a very dense network. What what kind of challenges does does that sort of lend? You know, what kind of challenges does that give you? in trying to come up with a, a good winter maintenance operations program? Well, I think one of the, the things, like you said, with being in a, you know, a dense, dense area is that we can't treat all roads the same, right? I mean, we have our, our major roads that are seeing, you know, upwards of 20,000 plus vehicles. Um, and then we have smaller residential roads, which don't need the same level of service. And so we do have to plan um, to meet the different levels of service on our different uh, types of roads. So, so how do you how do you do that? Uh, what, what are some of the what are some of the challenges that you have uh, to wrestle with there in the in the city of Calgary? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess what we do we we break our city into four different priority categorizations for our roads. Priority ones are our big roads. Priority twos, a lot of our connector roads, our, our transit routes. Three and four more the residential roads. So like I said, we we run on a seven-day plan. So when when the snow has begun, we are focusing almost, almost entirely on our priority one routes, you know, as well as some of our important priority two areas. And then when snow stops, we give ourselves 24 hours to have cleared our priority one network. We then give ourselves the next 24 hours to clear our priority two network. And then after that, we move into our priority threes and fours. So that's that's our seven-day plan. Um, that's how we, we run our operation at a high level. 
Um, one other challenge we have, because we are quite large geographically, is we we have two or three fairly distinct weather zones within our city. Um, you know, we might have our south end, you know, snowing to beat everything. Um, and our north, you know, the folks up north are not seeing anything. So, you know, we, we have a lot of, uh, you know, operational sort of responses to that as well, where we may have to move resources from one area to another, depending on on what we're seeing in the city and across the city. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have multiple garages spread out uh, across the city? <laughs> Yeah, so our, our maintenance group, we're, we're divided into nine depots. So we run four districts, uh, one for each of our quadrants, northwest, uh, northeast, southwest, southeast, uh, and then a central district, kind of for our downtown core. And so we have nine, nine depots over that space, uh, two in each quadrant and, and one in the central core. And so we deploy uh, trucks and resources and uh, operators out of each of those nine spots. Now, now when it comes to to uh, you know, working in a in an urban environment, there's some really unique challenges uh, that you all have to wrestle with. That that maybe the the folks at a, at a DOT or a, or the larger um, you know the national network might not have to deal with. Uh, what are some of those unique things that you have to wrestle with? And you know, and so I'm I'm thinking things like you know you've got people parking on streets, right? Um, You've got, uh, you know, this this peak rush hour uh, times uh, really, really does hit you hard. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about some of those challenges that you have to face. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about a few of those. We, um, we certainly do have a, you know, a morning and uh, an a.m. and p.m. peak rush hour. Uh, so we will typically try to design our shifts. Uh, where people are coming off the road at about that time and, and you know, doing truck checks and, and, uh, and vehicle checks and then back onto the road as they start to taper off. Uh, so that's one of the, the things we do. Um, another challenge, like you said, I mean, obviously we have traffic, we have parked cars. Um, you know, when we're working, we're working around schools, we're working around crosswalks. Uh, and so we're trying to yeah, improve our service. We don't want to be, you know, creating the big windrows um, across the crosswalk, for example. So we're looking at ways to minimize the impact we have on the pedestrian realm and the cycling realm. Uh, you know, parents loading and unloading their kids at a school. Uh, so, you know, we're always looking to improve that. That's a challenge we have. Um, yeah, it's it is certainly it's very active where we're working, and our, our operators have to be have to be very careful. You, you know, Chris, do you do you have to haul any snow? Do you do any snow hauling, hauling to snow dumps, that sort of thing? Well, back to the Chinook story, right? The, the city having, having these Chinooks, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. But while we're in winter maintenance mode, uh, it can be a blessing. And the reason for that is that we get these, you know, two, three days of very warm weather, and we will often melt quite a lot of the snow that we have uh, on our roads. Not all of it, but we will certainly increase our capacity with these Chinooks. As such, we don't need to do as much hauling as some areas who go into, you know, deep freeze mode in October, November, and don't come out of it until March. Um, so that is one of the benefits of of these, uh, you know, this kind of Chinook climate. Um, I call it a double-edged sword because the other edge of that, of course, is that we come into spring and we've had, you know, sometimes 10, 12, 15, 20 fairly defined freeze-thaw cycles. And so you can imagine what that does to us from a surface condition point of view and, and our requirements to repair roads come spring. Right. And and you, you, you were responsible for the whole package, right? That's right. Yeah. Once we finish snow, we, uh, you know, we spend the next 
few months cleaning up the mess we made with aggregates and salt and and then and you know surface repairs so you, you know interesting you, you mentioned aggregates and salts what what kind of of um resources do you use what kind of um strategies do you employ there in in the city <laughs> Yeah, we we have two two different materials that we use, you know, for the most part. Obviously, uh, a standard rock salt, uh, which we'll use in the the warmer temperatures. But because we get such a fluctuation of temperatures throughout a winter, um, you know, we have a rock salt for the warmer temperatures when we're we're looking at you know we're lowering freezing points and, and melting snow. And then once we get colder, we get into a you know an aggregate, sort of an eight mil or so uh, aggregate with a, a small small concentration, maybe two percent of salt. Uh, just to help it bind, keep it from freezing up in piles during cold spell and, and such. So, those would be our two primary tools, uh, material-wise. Do you use much liquids? We do. We'll we treat our we will pre-treat our roads with either a, a salt brine or a calcium chloride. Again, depending on the temperature, right? Somewhere around that, uh, I want to say minus ten or eleven, minus twelve. Uh, you know, Celsius is where we'll we'll move into a, a calcium. Uh, you know, as opposed to a a salt brine. Um, and then, of course, we, we pre-wet our material going down as well uh, when we're into colder weather, just to try to get a little more traction and, you know, more of our material on the road and less of it in the gutters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in a typical winter, you know, just to sort of stay on the salt theme here a little bit, in a typical winter, um, uh, how much how much salt will you end up using? Yeah, it, it can it can vary quite a lot depending on whether we have a you know a longer shoulder season where we're using it. But I want to say in the region of thirty to forty thousand tons. That's a respectable program. Yeah, and and you you make your own salt brines and, and you do your own blending. No, actually, we uh, that's contracted. We bring in we bring in salt brine and uh, and calcium chloride uh, externally. Though we are looking into the possibility of blending some of our own material. Okay. Um, you know, when, when we think about uh, winter maintenance program, you know, the first, the first thing that, 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 that I think about, of course, is equipment, right? It's you yeah. know, in, in my, in, during, during my time at the Nevada DOT, it was like whenever we would come and visit uh, uh, a different agency or, or a different operation, that's the first place we would head. We would want to go out and kick the tires, so to speak. Um, if, if, if we were coming to Calgary next year, and uh, which we're not it, it, because it's a virtual uh, Congress. But, you know, if we were coming to Calgary, what kind of equipment would we see? What, what kind of tires would we be kicking? Sure. Well, and, and I also want to say I'm, I am sad no one's coming to Calgary. It would have been nice to show off where uh, it's a beautiful city. Um, no, if you're kicking tires around our, our barns, you are looking at um, a fleet of about uh, 30 in-house grader, graders. Uh, as well as, you know, we have about 80, 82 of our own uh, tandem sanders. And then we, we bring in a few over the winter to supplement that. We, we get up to uh, somewhere in the mid-90s with rental units. You know, and then, of course, you have your, your loaders and, and that, which are, are loading, loading the sanders. And then we have a small fleet of, uh, you know, articulated uh, vehicles and skid steers as well to help with some of our smaller work pathways and uh, you know the more the more agile work, right? And 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 you you are responsible for those. Are you are you well? Are, are you responsible for like sidewalks and multi use paths and all of those other different modes? Yeah, the city takes care of some, but not all. Um, we take care of about two thousand kilometers of sidewalk pathway steps walks, um, and then I think 
you know, the citizens uh, take care of, of sidewalk adjacent to private property. Uh, and that makes up about 4,500, another 4,500 kilometers. Uh, so yeah, we do, we do a fair, a fair amount, um, in-house. Um, and then also the, uh, our citizens share some of that with us too. <clears throat> you, you know, you've got a, a pretty darn respectable fleet of equipment. Um, do you have, you know, your full-time employees, you, you have enough staff that, you know, that was something that the sort of always mm-hmm. comes up is, is, um, you know, a, a normal, a normal operation, during the summertime, you know, whether it be, you know, whether you're working like 10 hour shifts or, or, you know, eight hour shifts, uh, five days a week, when you get into winter operations and you've got to, you know, be available 24 hours, you know, you get into these multi-day storms where, where you've got to split shifts and all that, you know, the, 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 the human resource always becomes a topic. Um, do you have those kinds of, of issues with staff? How do you, how do you augment your folks as, you know, I think you, you might have some some resources available to you that that we don't have. You know, uh, at a DOT, for example, uh, how do you handle staffing issues? Yeah, you know, we're 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 lucky there. I would say we have a our programs are we have kind of a winter program, a spring program, and then a summer program. That's really how we break up our year, and and largely our staffing moves from one to the other uh, with very little you don't need to hire or, or layoff. We, we do very little of that right now. Um, the numbers work out well. We add, you know, a paving and, uh, and concrete portion to our work in the summer. And so winter is typically our highest demand season for staff. Um, but again, being in a larger municipality, we've in the, in the, in recent years, we've had sort of the fortune of taking folks, you know, uh, folks laid off in another area of the city. Uh, for example, waste and recycling services, our, our, our garbage truck uh, drivers and operators. Um, some of those folks have come over to us in the winter, right? I mean, they they come with a, a you know, same, uh, the, the license required to drive a big truck tandem, um, a little bit of training on a, a sander, and then we're able to augment our force that, that little bit in the winter with, uh, with city folks, which is great. Um, the... Um you know, when, when you, when, when you're thinking about, um, the kind of network that you have, I, I know it always used to, it always used to like sneak up, creep up on us, uh, when you move somebody from, uh, from a, a highway environment, right? Somebody that's used to plowing out in the, in the rural areas, and then you bring them into the city. Uh, there's mm-hmm. all kinds of roadway features that they're not necessarily exposed to normally, you know? Um, of course, you've got guardrails and things like that, but but um, the uh, the drainage that's that's there that needs to to be open, things like manhole covers, utilities. Um, <laughs> it, tell me, how, how does Calgary match up with that? I, I mean, um, I, I got to think that you know it's one thing to go out and plow a hundred kilometers of of road between two cities. Uh, it's quite a different thing to to work on a hundred kilometers in town. There's just all these other things that, that sort of get in the way of the plow, right? Sure. Yeah. No. Absolutely. What I would say, I mean, our operators are tremendous, right? And, you know, they've they know the areas well. They know the routes well. Um, you you talk about manholes, you know, raised or or lowered manholes. Occasionally, that's a challenge. Um, drains, right? You know, if you're dragging a blade along a curb, you can't pull up a you know, a catch basin, right? You and go where you shouldn't, right? <laughs> you sh- we, we, we try not to because 
costs money to repair them. And it leaves a um, hole. <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, you know, another thing we have when, when you, you might lift up bridge expansion joints, bridges all over the place, right? That's another one that our, our operators are very, very aware of when, when blades are down. So, no, we have all sorts of little challenges like that, but it's amazing. You you get in, you know, I, I jump in with an operator who's doing his route and it's, oh, I got to get my blade up here because I'm coming up to this. I'm, you know, get it back down right after. They they know the routes and they, they know the challenges. Um, you know, so bring, bringing someone else in, there's a bit of a learning curve, right? You want to familiarize yourself with these routes and know where your, where your hazards are. Um, but as a rule, you know, they help out the new guys and kind of teach them the ropes that way. And, and like I say, it's amazing to, to watch. They know, they know where to be careful and what they need to do. Yeah. Now, do your plows, are you running trip plows or, or shoes on your plows or, or are you using like carbide bits that, that are like right on the pavement? Yeah, car- carbon on the pavement. I mean, basically, you know, belly plows, front plows. Uh, you know, the graders have have uh, blades, and so yeah, we're we're using all that, and we're we're running right along the pavement. Um, though, of course, we do have shoes in that to you know prevent damage to mold boards and, and and the attachments. Now, now, in as as we were as we were sort of getting getting acquainted early on, and and we swapped a couple of emails back and forth. One of the things that that popped up in one of these emails were cobblestones. Do you have? Oh, sure. I, yeah, I would. I would say that you know we have. It's not the predominant feature. I mean, you know, for the most part, we have a standard asphalt surface, but we we certainly have areas with, you know, non-standard surface treatments, whether it's cobblestones or uh, stamped concrete or paving blocks or you know any number of things. Um, more so in the downtown core, I would suggest. Um, but yeah, we have some alternate tools to be able to do those roads without causing damage, whether it's. Uh, um, you know, poly blades or brooms. Uh, there's any number of options we have to to make that work. So yeah, and and I'm and, and you know, it's it's like those those different features make for an an interesting uh, city environment, right? But it also makes things interesting for the winter maintenance crews. Well, that's right. It's it's like anything, right? You you go non-standard, and it can it can beautify, it can make things interesting, but it's uh, it does make it a little more challenging to to maintain. So back to challenges. When you when you think about what's happened during COVID, there's there's this sort of two pieces to this. It's like um, I have to maintain an operation. I have to keep an operation going. You know, I need I need people in plows because the the snow's not going to stop, right? The, the the snow doesn't honor this quarantine the stay at home right because of covid it, it's coming and and so you've got to mount an operation there but on the other hand because people people have stayed home and and they have quarantined and businesses have 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 shut down um there isn't the demand quite as much out there uh from a traffic point of view so what how how how, how did you all approach that uh, in the city, and I'm sure there's probably still discussions going on about about changing priorities and and things like that that come into play. But but maybe you could talk a little bit about how how this whole COVID thing has sort of impacted your operation. Sure. Yeah. Again, I, th- I think that's where we have to start. There is a shout out to our our crews, right, and our frontline folks. Um, you know, COVID came whenever it was in March of 20. 20. Uh, and, you know, while everyone all of a sudden was staying at home, we didn't really have, we didn't have the luxury of missing a beat. Right. So folks kept coming in. Um, we kept driving our trucks. We kept removing snow. We kept uh, cleaning up once it was springtime. 
Um, so really, really resilient group in that regard. Uh, you know, so of course you have a number of protocols that come into place. We adjusted some of our shifts so that, you know, different crews wouldn't necessarily overlap in lunchrooms. We, you know, you know, fairly stringent protocols on cleaning trucks in between use and, and such. And, and then, like I said, you know, that those things put in place, our, our crews didn't miss a beat. Um, you know, they never had, like you said, they never had days off at home. We didn't have drone, drone plow trucks going around. <laughs> yeah, the autonomous plow truck isn't quite no, here yet, right? No, not, not, not quite yet. And so, no, our, our folks just had to keep on, keep on going. And, and we have done, you know, I never want to jinx anything, but we have been extremely fortunate and our crews have taken it very seriously. Um, and we haven't lost a lot of time to COVID. Uh, you know, operational impacts, I would say, were minimal. Uh, we had contingency plans in place. If there were impacts, you know, at, a, say, a given depot or a shift, uh, we had, you know, ways of spreading other groups around. We we spoke with some of our partners in the province, sort of at that, for you, the, the state level, but at our provincial level. And we said, look, if if you guys have anything happen with COVID, we'll come and help you. And, and they offered the same to us. And so we had those contingencies in place, but we never had to leverage them, um, which was again you know touch wood it's been excellent mm -hmm. um in terms of of traffic we obviously you know in those first those first months of covid where you know major cities looked like the zombie apocalypse had just happened um we had you know less cars on the road we were down probably five to well, five ten percent of regular capacity um and traffic volumes uh, very quickly on our sort of non- uh, downtown roads, we were back up in that 70, 80, 90% range. And so, you know, service had to continue much as it always had. Um, and so, like I said, we, we sort of adjusted our practices. We knew that we weren't able to, you know, sit and work from home and, and everyone did great. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we now go into this winter in a, a similar situation and we'll, uh, we'll keep doing the same thing we've been doing because it's, it's worked well for us. Now, uh, are you seeing, or or have you thought any about changing any priorities that that may you know you've got your your four different priority levels of of service mm. um has there been any discussion about maybe altering some of those depending on how folks have changed their land use if you will uh, you know maybe maybe people aren't coming into the downtown section quite as much but but there's more more impact out in neighborhoods um if you will, is is it too early, sort of, to to for that to pop up yet, or? Well, it, it might be too early to have the real long term implications known, but I think you're you were bang on in the comment that, you know, we realize the areas that needed more service last year were sort of those priority three, priority four residentials. Um, like you said, COVID, uh, the snow doesn't pause and help us out for COVID. We, we had a, a real doozy of a storm uh, right around Christmas last year. Um, and it uh, was difficult for crews. You know, we, we kept our major roads going. We got into our residential roads earlier, but um, we actually, we went to council following that not long after that. And some of our counselors said, look, we can, we can help you to, you know, increase that level of service in, in the, the residential areas when we have these really big storms, right? I mean, the sort of the, the abnormal storms. So we've made some changes to our snow policy where we will have access to some supplemental forces if we get into a real major event, uh, you know, because like you say, it's it's great to have our 
our major roads clear, but if people can't get to them, um, that's where your challenge is, right? And so, yeah, we've made some changes to our plan and we'll, we'll see. Hopefully, you know, cross our fingers this year, we don't get any of these sort of cataclysmic storms, um, but they are becoming more frequent in the last few years, we've noticed. Um, so, we, we, we have made some changes to address that a little a little more effectively. Yeah, I I, uh, I sort of keep my eye peeled on the um, the El Nino forecast, right? The the Enso forecast, and and mm-hmm. it looks they're, they're starting to to feel more certain that we're uh, going to have another La Nina year uh, this year. And I and I, I know what that means for me. Uh, I'm not sure I know what uh, a, a La Nina means for for you all there in the Midwest in Calgary, but uh, um, I. It's kind of like more of what happened last year is is sort of what I'm I'm hearing. Yeah, we're hearing the same. I tell you, the only rule, the only hard and fast rule that I go by is that the date we choose to go over to our sort of winter operations, we're going to get a snowstorm about seven to ten days before it. So it doesn't matter when we pick it; we're going to get that snow before. Um, <laughs> that seems to be the only consistent thing for us. Yeah, you, you, I know. We used to declare winter begins, you know, October fifteenth. That was like the beginning yeah. of winter. Like you say, it always seems like you get something uh, earlier than there. Yeah. Um, you, you know, Chris, in a in an urban environment like you've got, uh, I imagine there's some some different kinds of environmental considerations. What 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 kinds of things do you wrestle with when it comes to uh, environmental considerations? In other words, um, is, is it easy for you to experiment with different kinds of of um, deicing materials or or different kinds of strategies? Um, how how does that play out in in your operation? Yeah, I think at a, at a high level, you know, I mean, we have, you know, Environment Canada has codes of practice for salt management and, and environmental considerations, which we we follow. And I think we're, you know, at the front of the pack with a lot of our environmental policies and, and standards. You know, we look at, again, kind of at the depot level, you know, we, we cover all of our material, right? It's all fully covered. Um, we calibrate our trucks, we pre-wet material, we, you know, we do all these things to try to minimize our environmental impact now again of course we're a road you know a road clearing road clearing operation and and we use chlorides and we use material that isn't that isn't great and so we try to be responsible about that um you know we're always looking at at new products uh we've trialed you know beet brines for example in in our downtown core right just a slightly lower uh, sodium concentration liquid uh, and it's been effective uh we will try different uh you know, solid materials. Um, and, you know, we're constantly trialing um, at the moment. You know, it, it seems that the the most effective product is is salt, but we, we, we will always try new things as they, they come along. So Now, you had mentioned, again, as we, as we were sort of ramping up for, for our discussion today, um, that, that you, you say you use a lot of aggregates. Um, and, and but you mentioned that you clean and recycle a percentage of those. How, how do you? What's the process? How do you go about recycling aggregates? Because that's something that that we traditionally don't don't do. And I guess it's because we have a, a we have ways to get rid of them right after we use them and pick them up. But um, mm-hmm. could maybe you could explain a little bit how you how you go about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting too because in Calgary we have access to aggregate pits very very nearby. 
and so we we do get you know good rates on our aggregate and we're able to we have easy access to aggregates but i think you know with that environmental focus we want we, we said look rather than just you know getting rid of these aggregates when we're done sweeping them up at the end of the year what what can we do to to reuse them to some extent and so yeah we've been running a, a program for the last few years where uh you know sweepings that we we pick up from some of the major roads some of the residential roads which are not overly contaminated um we're able to take them in we have you know sort of a big trummel set up and we will we will sieve out um the good material from the from the bad and and we have the option of of reusing it in future years what we typically find ourselves doing with it um is for a lot of our community programs right like we offer we'll offer gravel and and uh, you know salt gravel mixes to uh the public they can come and pick it up from the outside our depots and 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 that recycled material is really good for that, right? Because then we're not we're not obviously buying new material to do it, and it it does the trick. We do find you know the recycled material once it has uh, has been on the road for a while, it's been driven over it, it loses a little bit of its its edge, and so we don't necessarily reuse it in SNCC operations, but we have a lot of uses for that material in other in other areas, like I said, providing it to the public or or other areas of the city. Okay, that, I mean that's that's cool. That's that's a that's a uh, like I said. We, I haven't heard much about aggregate recycling like anywhere, and it's it's encouraging to hear that that you're 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 continuing to use that material. You know, I always say aggregates are are the cheap material that keep costing you forever, right? Because you 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 pay to get them, you pay to put them down, you pay to pick them up, you pay to get rid of them. Uh, so it's uh, it's encouraging to hear that you've got a, a recycling program there. What are the kind yeah. of technologies do you use, Chris? Um, you uh, you into road weather management, um, decision support kinds of tools, ABL, GPS, you know, the kind of that whole suite of, of technology that helps you do your winter maintenance operations. Yeah, no, I, I think we check almost all of those boxes, right? Um, certainly AVL, GPS, you know, we're, we're, we're monitoring our fleets with that and release rates and blades up, blades down, all these types of things. We know kind of what's going on on the network. Um you know, we are also uh, fairly invested right now into sort of RWIS systems, right? We have a number of RWIS stations around the city. And again, you know, that's largely a factor of these different, like I was saying, these different weather patterns we can have in the same city on the same day at the same time, right? So we we're able to see what's happening where um, effectively. And so we, we definitely leverage that, you know, various types of stations, bucks in roads, uh, you know, we know, like everyone, we know, you know, road temperature, uh, surface temperature, uh, and, and all the the things we need to make the decisions on, you know, what material we might use or what liquid we might put down. Um, another thing that we're getting into uh, right now, and we're really we're we're trying to make this happen, is uh, uh, route automation, right? Sort of some uh, using soft, software to to create, you know, optimize our routes, route optimization software, I should say. Um, so we're we're getting into that now in a in a big way, and obviously there's challenges with that in a fairly, you know, urban setting. Um, but we we certainly hope to leverage that in coming years and and uh, increase the sort of efficiency of our of our program. Mm-hmm. Now I know a lot of route optimization routines were were developed for um, waste removal, right? Waste pickup. Are, are you are you like expanding a program that you have for your waste management folks into winter service, or do you find that that they sort of mirror each other? you know, quite nicely. And you can, you can use one for both, right? 
Yeah, so that's interesting. I, I feel like the, the jig is up. You know our, our stuff. Um, so yeah, actually our, our waste and recycling folks have been using this, you know, route optimization software for a number of years. And so we are we have taken the same software as them and we're, you know, making it applicable to to uh, to snow and ice control. Obviously the you know the, the functionalities of the, or, or I guess what we need is a little different, right? I mean, where waste can design very static routes just to get to every house as efficiently as possible. You know, we need to consider sort of the priority level of our roads and what areas might need more or less service, more or less passes, right? Like what's our cycle time on a route, um, you know, all sorts of things. Uh, but yeah, that is sort of the, the genesis of it. it. Waste and recycling has been using it. And we said, well, we can probably make this work for us too. Well, I, I wish you the best of luck with that. I, I know that uh, route optimization is, is one of PSYCOP's uh, strategic initiatives, and uh, we've been looking at it for the last you know three years as a technology, and, and it's on our program for the next three years. So yeah. I think maybe maybe we need to become a little bit more engaged uh, with you and, and how it's uh, working out in, in your kind of an environment. I, I think there's some really interesting things on the on the horizon when it comes to route optimization. No, agreed. And I will tell you, I have listened intently to your podcasts, which dealt uh, with route optimization. They were excellent. It was very helpful. Um, Chris, one last thing sort of before we, before we, we sign off and, and um, in a, in an urban environment, I know a lot of the cities that, that I've visited, they've got um, like snow routes, Right where there's parking bans and and things like that, I'm I'm sure you you sort of have the same sort of setup. Um, can can you explain a little bit about about how those snow routes and the the parking bans play out? Um, do people usually pretty well you know uh, obey those parking bans and get out of the way of your snow plows or or you know how do you handle it when when folks aren't quite as as um, caring about the snowplow and, and leave their vehicles parked wherever they want? Yeah, no, good question. Um, so we have, we do have a, a snow route parking ban network. Um, I would say that it is typically on our priority two roads, you know, a lot of our bus routes and those sort of major, the, the more major residential roads. Um, so they're, they're very, they're well signed. You know, there's information about that on the, uh, Online, we have all sorts of services where we will text people, we will call people, we will make it, you know, available knowledge on through the media um, that we are calling a, a snow route parking ban. Um, it's not something we have to do very regularly. Um, I wouldn't say we've had more than a handful in the last three or four years. Um, so it's not something we're doing all the time, um, but when we have that storm, that's going to need a little extra work, you know, widening those roads or, or removing a bit of snow here and there, if it, if we have to, we do have that tool. Um, we work very closely with our, uh, our sort of our partners, the, the Calgary parking authority, um, right. Who, who are able to enforce that. But what I would suggest is that compliance is, is very good on these routes. I don't think we have a you know, a big compliance problem. Um, like you said, we, we do have the, the tools to go out and enforce when people aren't, uh, aren't obeying those, aren't helping us out. But for the most part, we are well supported by, by the citizens and people get their, their cars out of the way for us. Well, and, and you know, it, you, you mentioned something really interesting and that's that, that you reach out to folks, you know, you declare this event and, and you say the parking ban is going into effect and, and, you you make a conscious effort to aggressively go promote that, which 
mm-hmm. probably relates to the high compliance, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, our comms groups are are excellent at what they do. Right, we we typically will be able to give at least twenty four hours notice, uh, at least um, of knowing knowing a parking ban will be required. Right, while we're still working and cleaning up those those priority one roads, um, the parking bans being on the priority twos, we can we can give some notice, and you know they they will last for up to seventy two hours, up to three days. Um, but we are typically able to to get out of there a little sooner than that. Okay. Chris, have, have, have we overlooked anything? Have we, have we skipped over any important piece of your winter maintenance operations there in Calgary that, that you want to be sure folks come away with? No, I think we've done a, a nice little touch on everything. I realize we've been talking for, you know, 30, 40 minutes and I could probably go two or three times longer. It's just, it's that easy, right? But no, I think we've, we've had a nice little touch on everything. You know, with that, Chris, I want to thank you for taking the time and, and sharing, you know, not only the operational environment that you've got to work with, but but your approach to winter operations there at Calgary. Great. No, thank you. And I'm, I'm glad to have been able to share. Well, it's it's been a pleasure visiting with you, Chris. Now, don't forget to register for PyArc's 16th World Winter Service and Road Resilience Congress that's coming up. This is a fully online event. It's February 7th to 11th, 2022. You can go to www.pyarch-calgary2022.org for more information. I want to let everybody know that PSYCOP Talks Winter Ops is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, just about any place you go for your uh, podcast content. Give us a like and, and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Uh, In addition, you can find episodes on our website at psychop.transportation.org. As always, if there's a topic you'd like more information on or someone with an interesting story you'd like us to visit with, send me an email at rnelson at ashto.org, and we'll do our best to make it happen. Support for PSYCOP comes from state DOTs who make an annual contribution of $4,000. It's because of those states that PSYCOP talks winter ops and the other resources to help state DOTs achieve their winter maintenance mission are possible. Until next time, thanks for listening in and stay safe out there.